Welcome to History 21, the podcast, a production of the Anoka County Historical Society, sharing the stories and audio journeys from our county's past and present. Hey, Sarah, how you doing? Hey, Rebecca, I'm doing pretty well. We're organizing all of the things. We're always organizing all of the things. (laughs) In order to facilitate this, I have a new things to do notebook. I'm very excited. I like stationery. Does it have cats on it? No, it doesn't. I'm not going to describe it for podcast world because that is not my skill, but I love it. And it will have all of the tasks and things to do for this coming week because we're headed something someplace special. (gasps) Oz. But it's not in the county. We are headed to the Now Then Threshing Show on Friday. It runs the whole weekend, and it's the most amazing event. Have you ever been? I have. Not recently. I've lived in the county my entire life, and I never went to the threshing show until I started working here. It blew my mind. I did not realize I was missing out on this amazing thing. The first year I went, a person on a horse was my parking like attendant, just riding along in that parking lot, orange vest with an orange wand pointing me in the right direction. And I thought to myself, this is amazing. I am very excited that this week, we have a couple of people to tell us all about the show itself and all of the work that goes into it. We're having John Wetter, president of the Now Then Historic Power Association, and Ann Zimmerman, a director and 50th anniversary chairperson from that organization on the podcast today. They talk about everything they have at the Now Then Threshing Show, all the amazing demonstrations they have, the tractors, of course, but also what threshing is and the train on the grounds or the accessibility things they think about so that everybody can come out and enjoy the weekend. Oh, it's going to be great. It was so fun to talk with them. Um, They've been involved for so long and they come from a farm family as well. So this is personal history for them as well as fun hobby history So happy anniversary, Threshing Show. We're going to see you this weekend. And if you are not convinced already that you should go to the Threshing Show, uh, let John and Ann tell you a little bit more about it. I honestly have never been to the Threshing Show as a participant observer. I have been there as a historic selling pickles person. That's okay. Neither have I. I mean, I've never been there as a walk around (laughs) attendant person either. So (laughs) I had eight minutes that one year that I ran around and looked at stuff. It was pretty interesting. Who knew we did what we did out there? For people that don't go to the threshing show, what would they expect when they did come? What is the threshing show? The Now Then Threshing Show is really uh, to showcase the history of early agricultural area. Um, so really back kind of focus around the 
early 1900s, maybe into the 1920s. We have quite a few different things for folks to be able to come and see. So we do have everything from a historic farm with the full garden and other making dinner, as would have happened for back in the era when there were threshing crews, which could be anywhere from 10 people to 20, 25 people. We also have a a church that was uh, moved to the grounds. You're going to see an old Skelly gas station um, with a whole bunch of historic cars, you know, all the all the oldie cars and trucks and uh, everything kind of from the 30s and 40s. Then you'll also see uh, a sawmill. So that those were very common in the area. We have a demonstration of that, and you'll see that sawmill run by a variety of different types of tractors. Uh, most commonly, you'll see it's operated by a steam tractor. Uh, we have a very nice collection of uh, steam tractors in the at the show. You know, people like to stand next to the back wheels of them and see that the back wheels are, you know, several feet taller than a person standing next to the wheel. You'll also see them out in the field threshing grain. Uh, so that's the, by the name of the show, threshing, uh, just if people aren't even familiar with that word, perhaps, um, is literally separating the wheat from the chaff. And so you're actually taking, in our case, oats, and you put them into a machine, a threshing machine, that actually separates the grain to then whether you'd use an oatmeal or you know wheat into cereal or to feed uh, cattle. Uh, it actually separates that out, and then you get the shaft or the straw out the back of the threshing machine, and you would bale that up to use for, for bedding. Um, in the modern day, a lot of the s- straw and some of those pieces are used as a uh, erosion management. You know, you see when there's when they're finishing up road work or whatever along the side, you'll see they put straw down to try to hold the uh, dirt in place until the grass can get growing. We also have some really cool big engines. Uh, we have a, a, a large Fairbanks Morse engine that has a really close attachment here to the city of Anoka. It was the backup generator for federal ammunition. Almost all of the hours that were put on the engine were put on the engine in 1965 as it served as the backup generator uh, following the Fridley tornado outbreak in 1965. You're not only going to see that run, you're going to feel it run. The ground like has this movement to it that's just something else. Along with a full blacksmith shop that uh, I could spend the entire day. And of course, free train rides for the kids. Uh, flea market area where you can find some treasures to take home with you. Ah, but John, you missed two things, two big things. One, I could spend all day in the print shop watching the old style newspapers and how they would put the words together. It was this huge contraption. And, you know, we sit here and work on these tiny little computers these days and you see how they would build an actual newspaper. And the other thing is uh, the craft building or historically what used to be known as the women's building because it demonstrated a lot of the women's uh, homemade type goods. So quilting, uh, spinning yarn, who, who does that anymore? It's very rare. Uh, they make baskets and all sorts of homemade goods that were necessary because you couldn't order it off of Amazon. 
So I think that was kind of just a quick walk around the grounds of all the different things that you have available uh, when you come out to the show. This is a really special year for you guys at the Threshing Show as well, as far as anniversaries go, correct? It is our 50th show that we will be hosting. What's changed over the years? Has it always been as big as it is now? No. So the show originally began as word of mouth. Three gentlemen in Rogers, Minnesota, where our show originated out of, had lived along the interstate and there was an old threshing machine in the trees that was going to be destroyed when the bulldozers came through to put I-94 through. So these three gentlemen decided, well, we'll rescue it. And since we're rescuing it, we might as well rebuild it and put it back together and restore it. And so they did that and decided, well, now that it's restored, the next logical step, of course, is to run the threshers. Word of mouth, let's have people come out and we'll thresh. September or October of 1971, they decided to do this word of mouth threshing. Meanwhile, across the river in Anoka, the Anoka Engine Club was meeting for the first time, and they were focused more on the small engines. In 1972, they decided, well, we might as well go display at this, what was now becoming an annual Rogers Threshing Show. These two groups of gentlemen who were sort of bonded because one of the members of the threshing crew was a brother to the Anoka Engine Club president and decided, well, we'll start doing this show. And so they went from word of mouth with 50 to 60 people there to 1,500 the next year. And today, I don't even know how many people we have attending, but it is massive now. The threshing show itself, it is a massive undertaking and we have amazing volunteers, all volunteers, nobody gets paid all volunteers who show up to run this show so that generations will understand what rock crushing looked like a hundred years ago, what threshing looked like instead of these modern day combines that have GPS. Now we're talking about literally manu like literally hand from the beginning work that led to what we do now. We have great volunteers who step up, but the organization is only led by four officers and six directors. So you have 10 people who are the core leaders and many, many committee chairpersons who help make the show run. But it's a lot of moving pieces. And as president, especially, a lot of that burden falls on them. So in an ideal world, it would be lovely to have some kind of manager, if you will, to take care of some of these things. Are most people that are involved in the volunteer core of the group, do they have farming backgrounds? That's what's kind of interesting is um, I would say in the core original group, yes, a lot of folks do have, they at least have a background in the area that they kind of represent at the show. So whether that be the farming background doing threshing out in the fields or rock crushing or whether that maybe be a background of a mechanic and now they help run like the skelly gas station you know or they have a background in dairy farming and so they help with the dairy area it's kind of interesting the background of people but we also have people that really 
don't have that background, but just find it super interesting. Um, you know, right now um, we have on the, on the board of directors, I think we now have as many people that don't have a farming background as do have a farming background, you know, with folks that, um, you know, just found it super interesting, you know, that some people are just kind of grease monkeys, you know, and they like to work with mechanical stuff, you know, and nowadays so much uh, automotive pieces are becoming running another computer. And so they like to work on stuff that isn't a computer, you know, to be able to see how it actually works, you know, how actually pulling an engine apart and putting it back together again. It's really interesting to a lot of folks who are kind of that mechanically minded, you know, whether they have an agricultural background or not. And as I've been doing research for the 50th, I've been speaking to some of our members who've been a part of the organization for many years. And it's amazing how many have a familial tie. So their dad was involved, their mom was involved, or their grandpa took them to the show many years ago. And so they, they got that itch, that interest because of the exposure to it. And so there's a little bit of that familial tie that has really kept this show so popular for so many years because it spreads like that. And it really is popular. I mean, there are thousands and thousands of people that come on the weekend of the threshing show. Yeah, our best guess is our attendance is somewhere in the ballpark for the weekend of somewhere in the twelve to 15,000 people ballpark. So, uh, and this year we're, we're excited to welcome people back and it's going to be a, uh, I think it's going to be a really good time. So it's, you know, certainly things are in motion for the show coming up this year. You know, like as we, as we record this today, our oats has been cut and shocked as they call it, uh, which means it's been bundled up into these bundles. And then you uh, assemble the bundles in a little um, kind of a teepee shape out in the field for them to finish drying uh, before you pick them up, put them on the wagon and then thresh them. What would we lose if this show didn't exist? Oh, that's a big question. So I'm a lawyer by, by trade, but I grew up on a farm. So I was exposed to this as a kid because of my dad. I have learned so much about hard work and just dedication to what you do from that background. And so part of the reason I enjoy being part of the show every year, and when I interviewed some folks for our show this year, some other folks said the same thing, is when you're standing there and grandpa walks up with grandkids and says, when I was a kid, I worked on one of these and I did this and I did this. In 20 years, we're going to lose that and we won't have grandpa who was on that because that generation is quickly aging out and we're going to lose all that knowledge all that experience all that history and so for me if the threshing show weren't there I don't know where a lot of kids would learn how you milked a cow before modern day technology came around or how a steam tractor who even knew steam powered something 
before that day. So it's, to me, it would just be a huge loss in education. It's not something our schools will focus on because it's just not that core education. But for a country that was founded on farming, lumber, uh, who built railroads, so we needed to have those rock crushers, who had trains and just all the hard work that women did within the home before we earned the right to vote, before we earned the right to have jobs outside of the home, it would just be a huge loss of history. Yeah. And just learning about that, you know, so whether it's from your own grandpa or it's just understanding that the grain in the cereal that, you know, is in a box on your shelf doesn't magically appear there, you know, actually, where does it come from? You know, and even in this small engine area where you actually see they'll have either corn that they're actually crushing into meal, you know, to uh, whether that to be feeding animals, you know, or, or whatever. So actually seeing those pieces done and helping to get an attachment to understanding where your food comes from, um, how work was done, you know, perhaps, um, it gets mentioned at least a few years by attendees to me, even of a um, how much safety has improved on the job site, where you move from this thing of huge flywheels with open belts and these big things all spinning and spinning and crunching and moving. And it's all right there in front of you. There's no, there's no safety shields or coverings or any of that kind of stuff. And actually seeing how that has all progressed up into the modern day of, you know, these kind of what I'd almost call like magic boxes, you know, of everything is so enclosed and kind of automated that you don't actually see the work being done anymore. And so that's, you know, you have just input and then what you have at the end, but here at the threshing show, we like to really talk about how you can actually see the work being done. You know, as we talked about before, whether that be in the field, whether that be the blacksmiths actually taking the metal and forming it into tools, or whether that be in the craft building of actually, you know, from a pile of wool, you know, that was just sheared off of a sheep and to now on the table on the other side is uh, stockings or mittens or hats. And that's to me what is really special about the threshing show. It amazes me what people can do with their hands and what human brains, the ingenuity that comes with figuring out how part A, B, and C work together. And if you add part D in, did it just make it better or did it just change the whole thing to a point where it doesn't work anymore? Yeah. And for me, I love seeing that of even the mechanical side and the um, technology side of that happen of many of the same concepts you see in a modern engine today were all developed over a hundred years ago. You just can't see it right now because it's a internal component. Whereas in these engines from, you know, a hundred years ago, you actually can see each of those components and point them out and show, actually see it working and see what it does. And it's important to encourage that creativity with kids. And I think our threshing show is one, it's history, which can sometimes feel almost like a dull 
lesson in school because you get the book, you hear about things that happened hundreds of years ago, you can't touch them, you can't see it, you can't be a part of it. But here, we can learn about our local history and students can go out and physically see and touch and experience things. And that jogs creativity with kids. I see kids all the time leaning on their hands, just staring at the blacksmiths as they're just pounding away all day long, building from a piece of metal, like John said, and creating these beautiful pieces of art. Uh, I mean, obviously they have a function, but they're beautiful and they just, they take such pride in what they do. And to watch these women as they're forming yarn, to me, that just boggles my brain because I go to Michael's and buy my yarn. I don't build my own yarn. And these women will just sit there for hours, just easy as can be making, makes, they make it look so easy what they do. So much of history in the schools is the dates and learning the skeleton. And it would be amazing if we could focus a little bit more on the stories that hang, you know, the flesh that hangs on that skeleton and the stories and the cause and effect between what people did and what happened in the inventions and how that changed the mechanism of the world. And that, as you say, that makes it come alive and you see that timeline. And that is the history that always intrigued me. It made it feel real rather than just something I had to learn for a test. Is there other components that we haven't touched on that you'd like to get in the show? I will, uh, I'll start. There's a couple things. One, I think it's really important to note that for our patrons who come to the show, our goal is to offer the education at um, as much as we can for free. So there's a, a a payment to get in the gate, but then other than if you were going to buy food or, you know, a lemonade or something on the grounds, almost all, everything we have is free to experience. So kids can ride train rides. We have children's activities that go on. Um, there's tractor pull events that happen every single day of the show that anyone can watch. It's included in your rate to get in the door. So our goal is once you're in the gate and that fee really just goes towards making the show happen each year. We're a nonprofit. We don't benefit from the, the, any finances that we gain, but the goal is to allow everyone to experience things. Um, we have lots of benches. We have people movers that uh, are wagons that have are covered from the sun and have benches so young or old will help you get around the grounds and get you to all the activities so that you can see it and we try to have somebody in each area so you're not going to spend your whole time like in a museum reading you're going to be able to interact with somebody who can answer questions don't be daunted if you're um, interested in coming but are concerned that you can't walk the whole day or concerned about the cost. Once you're in that gate, everything's pretty much included. Oh, that's a great point. And from the History Center perspective, you know, we spend the weekend out there doing demonstrations. There's a great vacuum cleaner. Anybody who wants to stop in and check out our vacuum cleaner, that is the, the main pull of the day, that and our penny candy. So we 
That's our gig. We sell pickles too. If you happen to have a, a salty taste after that lemonade, you can come get one of our pickles. And where would you find those pickles for sale? There is a store quite near the gas station, is there not? The general store, you know, the target of the, the early 1900s, late 1800s. Yeah, and the general store that if they didn't have it, you know, especially once the railroads came through the towns, the general store, if they didn't have it, they could order it. And, you know, it's even I've heard stories from both my dad and I remember my grandpa telling them as well of, you know, a general store was not just about buying, you know, bubblegum balls or about buying even household appliances. You know, the general stores were is where they could buy actual like chickens or they could buy um, piglets, you know, to raise as hogs out in the farm or even cattle. And they would arrive on the train and uh, to then raise them out on, out on the farm. Well, and Anne also mentioned the tractor pull. So that's the one thing I guess we haven't talked about is besides the things that are kind of built into the show is everyone that brings their tractors to come show as well. We often have over uh, 300 tractors out in an area where everyone is all parked and you have nearly every make and model of tractor represented out there. So whether maybe you're a fan of John Deere tractors, we're going to probably have at least one of just about every John Deere tractor ever made. Um, if you're an international tractor fan, we're going to probably have just about every international tractor ever made, um, along with some of the less popular uh, brands and makes and models. And you'll see the daily parade of power, as we call it, at one o'clock every day. You'll see a lot of those tractors actually on parade and drive through the grounds um, kind of as a, a break for the day. If you're walking around all morning, you can stop at one o'clock. Um, our announcers will tell you, you know, where the tractor is from and uh, a little, sometimes a little bit of history around the different makes and models as well. Um, and then in the evening, you'll get to see those tractors compete in a tractor pull. So we do an antique tractor pull. Um, so you'll see all of those tractors and how much weight can they pull down, down the field or down the track in this case. Um, and we also, and that's Friday and Saturday and in the evenings, they start at five o'clock and six o'clock respectively. Another interesting or fun thing that we do is right after dark, we do what's called a spark show. Uh, so we'll actually take a steam engine and pull it down the track. And what we'll see, what you'll see is all kinds of fire and sparks and everything coming out of the top of the smokestack. Uh, we kind of call that jokingly our now then fireworks show. Um, Weather permitting, of course. Yes. Cannot light things on fire. <laughs> right. Being in the being in the middle of a drought right now, I'll certainly make sure that we do the responsible thing, but I sure hope that we'll be able to, to have our spark show as well. And as folks are listening to the podcast, if they think, boy, my dad or my grandpa would really love to come out there, but you know, between if it's warm or hot and the fact that it's our showgrounds is 40 acres total, might think about how are we going to get around. We do offer uh, 
golf cart rental. So for folks who want to bring somebody who maybe is not as able-bodied, but would really like to see the show, you can rent a golf cart for uh, up to eight hours while you're at this show. And again, we're not looking to make money off of that. That's essentially to cover the cost of the golf cart rental. Um, but it allows for, especially I see a lot of seniors to get around and to see I mean, it's a big showgrounds, the people movers work, but you still have to get up and off those people movers and to go up and down those tractor rows for hours. I've seen folks looking at those tractors. The golf cart rental is available for folks if they wanna bring out your dad or bring out your mom or bring out your grandpa to see some of those old displays. No, I really appreciate the accessibility options you guys have installed in the last few years. Good for everybody. And if all else fails, you can sit down at the pavilion and listen to music. We offer a lot of great music throughout the weekend, too. Everything from modern day stuff to bluegrass to country, just a little bit of everything for everyone to enjoy. Or on, I think it's Sunday, is it, John? The square dancers come out so you can see some square dancing. Or if you're a square dancer, come on out. They're always looking for public involvement or patrons to jump in. They'll even teach you if you're not really sure like what you're doing. I would try, but I would look horrible at it, but they are totally willing to teach because that's just what our show is there for is to teach. Oh, it sounds like you guys have a really great show plan this year and happy anniversary. And we are going to rock this anniversary and truly wish you all the best at the show Thank you so much, Anne and John, for your time during the show today on the podcast. It was just so much fun to listen to the ins and outs of the, the threshing show and how it all comes together. Well, thank you so much for having us. And we would love to see everybody come out here this August 20th, 21st, and 22nd at the Now Then Threshing Show grounds in Now Then, Minnesota. It's going to be awesome. We'll see you there. Yes, you will. I'll be on a steam engine. Read all about it in the Noka County Library Minute. For this week's Library Minute, Lydia with the Anoka County Library curated a book list all about farms and tractors and then trusted me to give voice to them. It's a good list. Check it out. Her first suggestion is This Old Tractor, a treasury of vintage tractors and family farm memories by Michael Dregney. This book is a gem. It contains essays authored by farmers looking back on their farming lives. There's an extensive chapter titled Threshing Days with voluminous photography and illustrations, one of which is a 1934 photo of Machinery Hill at the Minnesota State Fair. She also suggests The Self-Sufficient Life and How to Live It by John Seymour. Have you ever dreamed of living off the land? The late Seymour, an idealist who envisioned a world where people aren't alienated from their labor, was the father of the Back to the Basics movement. He paradoxically wrote of the practical ways to do just that. For those who can't have your own tractor, there's Build Your Own Farm Tools by Josh Folk. Those who can't afford or don't need a tractor will appreciate the flinty instruction on how to equip your farm or garden shop. There are chapters on greenhouse and irrigation tools, among others. Young kids are fascinated by tractors and farms. Uh, Early readers may enjoy the following books or others found here at the library. 
like truck and tractor pulls by Kate Mikaloy. Welcome to the farm, Combine Harvester by Samantha Bell. John Deere, That's Who by Tracy Nelson Moore, or What Does It Do? Combine by Mark Friedman. For those with more advanced reading skills, the classic Charlotte's Web by E.B. White, or Down to Earth, How Kids Help Feed the World by Nikki Tate. We love a good book, but sometimes you just want to see something. For library card holders, you can head on over to Canopy.com, an online video streaming service, and watch The American Farm from the History Channel. This eight-episode series follows five family farms through an entire year to document the entire growing and harvesting process, as well as the struggles and successes that are a daily part of farming life. Happy reading, all! Get those library cards and reserve your copy today. Direct links to these books and more can be found in the episode show notes at anocacountyhistory.org. So much happens out at the threshing show. It just blows my mind how much they managed to pack into that section of land. I know you asked them, like, describe the threshing show to me. And I seriously had to cut that section down. I was like, the whole episode can't just be them describing the grounds and what they have. It seemed like a simple question when I asked it. What else do we specifically do out there? Our little corner of the threshing showgrounds is this 1920s general store. We're at the end of the threshing showgrounds right next to the, where they hold the tractor pull, which is amazing. And it's a really lovely time. We invite people into the general store, sell them penny candy. The little kids are so adorable with their like clutched, clutched fingers full of coins that they're trying to figure out what they can get for two dimes or a quarter and selling pickles, of course, as, as well as the candy, because I'm more of a savory instead of a sweet person. Oh, I don't understand you. Chocolate all the way. Tootsie Rolls. As a child, one of my go-to snacks was a glass of milk and a bowl of pickles. No, no, no. Dill pickles and I still don't agree. Even even the, the sweet refrigerator pickles, I'm still only like a two-slice person. Unfortunately, our pickles go fast at the general store. They are in demand out there. So when, when you come out to the threshing show, be sure to stop by the general store and say hi, place an order for, you know, something that we can get on the train, 1920s style, and uh, mosey with a pickle and a handful of candy. We'll see you out there this weekend, everybody. If you have a question, want to visit our show notes page for each episode, or would like to share your own story, go to anocacountyhistory.org. Help History 21, the podcast, reach more ears by subscribing and reviewing on your podcast provider. We're all over social media, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram for all those who scroll by. And for our Vault members, you can find special access to podcast extras as well as the latest digital resources at History 21, the Vault, located on our website. Remember, the present is the past of the future.